Lynn Kuntzman, Garden Star, takes the mystery out of winter gardening in this month's edition of Garden for Life. You can send your questions for next month's edition to jx at jeffnet.org. Here's Lynn and Jeffrey Riley. Lynn, good to have you back on the Jefferson Exchange. Great to be here. So uh, I guess the biggest thing that I think about in, in gardening as fall gives way to winter is is for, for those of us who haven't been doing it long, it, it's a bit of a mystery on timing. It's not like you can really take the, the cues like you can in the springtime when the soil gets above a certain temperature and it's, you know, when it's sunny outside. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot you're planting now for sure. Uh, you know, you can still set out your garlic and, and shallots and things, but... For the most part, you're you're just kind of uh, hunkering down and uh, protecting your irrigation equipment and, you know, checking drainage in your yard and those kinds of things. So, yeah, and, and harvesting greens, you know, and or Brussels sprouts that you've planted earlier in the season and they're coming right now. Well, yeah. th- that was one of the things that actually confused me because I was looking at the OSU list about Brussels sprouts and, and yours as well about November in the food garden and, and yeah. realized I didn't know when the Brussels sprouts should have gone in to come out now. Right. They yeah. They go in. They go in like in September, mm-hmm. and then and then. They, but the problem for me in my yard is my garden's too small because I've got all my tomatoes and peppers still going in September, and I can't be sticking, you know, Brussels sprouts in there. And so <laughs> I, I often don't get a fall uh, garden in um, the way I should. Uh, but uh, people can do it if they really, really, really plan and are more meticulous than I am. So yeah. <laughs> no. It's, you can put all that stuff like uh, cabbage, kale, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts in in the fall and then have it in, in, in late fall, November, and some of it overwinters, especially the overwinter broccoli is just the best stuff because you put it in in the fall and then in March you've got broccoli. It's like coming, it just makes it through all the cold weather and yeah. It's terrific. Which, which still mystifies me, but I was noticing um, flowers beginning to appear on broccoli that I planted uh, yeah. back in September, I guess. Yeah, yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. Well, yeah. uh, so that, that raises a question then about the overlap part of this. And uh, John and Ashlyn dropped this off uh, after our conversation in October. And uh, he says, I still have tomatoes and cukes in the ground. Is it okay to plant around those while the temps are still conducive to germination? Or should he pull the other stuff up before he plants a cover crop, for example? No, I mean, you You actually can plant in amongst the summer crop that you have going. And if you're putting in things like a, a cover crop, it will just start germinating underneath um, the peppers and tomatoes and whatever. And then when you when you go to when those vines get killed by frost, what I do is lift the cages off and just cut those at ground level, leave the roots just where they are. Then you're not disturbing the roots of your little cover crop that's coming up. And take the, you know, haul the, haul the uh, you can either chop the debris and scatter it across the bed, or you can take it to your compost pile, you know, the old tomato vine or pepper plant or whatever you're taking out, cucumber vine, um, however you're going to deal with that. Um, and then you've got your cover crop already sowed. Um, that's, that's fine to do. There's no problem with that. And the other thing that uh, many people do is they plan to tuck their, uh, their transplants of their a fall crop in between their summer crops because when it's really hot, those fall plants like broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage appreciate some shade from the taller plants, you know, <laughs> in the baking hot September weather that we can get. So um, you can, you can, if you're really planful, you can get your, um, your winter, your fall winter crop in uh, around your summer crop. 
all right, so so the roots of of the stuff that's still there, even if you cut it out, but you leave the roots in place, is not mm-hmm. going to interfere with the cover crop or anything otherwise inhibited. No, no, those things, those roots are just going to start to rot and die, and they'll just release their nutrients into the soil, and and they'll provide you know channels for the water to move down into the into the soil substrate. So no, leaving the roots in place is a great, actually a great strategy. Um, they're not going to interfere with the ability of the other little plants around them to put their own roots down. Lynn plants Kunzman's, are going to find a way. <laughs> yeah. Lynn Kunzman's back with us on the Jefferson Exchange for another edition of Garden for Life. Lynn is the uh, Oregon Statewide Master Gardener of the Year. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, yeah. One of the things I, I did learn, too, <laughs> the hard way... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should also subtitle this. Don't, don't garden like Jeff, but um, right. <laughs> but uh, I, I realized, uh, and I should have known better, the difference between a frost and a freeze when you Ooh, get yeah. one warning. Yeah, because like, yeah, you can protect your tomatoes from frost, but you can't protect your tomatoes outdoors from a freeze. You cannot. Yeah, no. I mean, once once the temperatures get down, you know, below that 32 uh, and down into that 25, they're done. They're, you know, they're finished. They're black and looking like Night of the Living Dead out there. Um, but, yeah, you can absolutely protect them from a frost, and that's easy. You can take a sheet out and throw it over your tomato vine, and a, a light frost is not going to get through to those plants. Um, they're not going to be damaged. But but once things start, you know, when the ground starts getting hard, you, you, you're you you're done. <laughs> yeah, for, the, for those summer crops. Yeah, which is exactly the circumstance. I put a shower curtain over the tomatoes, and then when when the the, the vines were looking a little a little tough, the, the next couple of days was like, oh yeah, they did say freeze, not frost. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah that's that's different. That's yeah. very different. Right. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So, so let's see. So, leave the stuff in there. This this gets to another question I got from somebody in the newsroom. Uh, so, you don't have to clean out. Well, for example, rotten tomatoes, stuff, uh, actual fruits that have fallen right. on the ground. Should those stay too, or should you sweep those off? You, you well, you can do either. You can leave them out there. The birds will peck at them. Uh, uh, they'll they'll germinate next summer. They'll they'll come up. Uh, they'll, a bunch of seedlings will come up. You know, <laughs> in the bed next summer. So I usually throw those into the compost pile mm-hmm. and let them, you know, let them do their thing there. Um, but you know, I, I don't always have time to clean that up. So I just chop and drop stuff, you know, and leave it on the beds. That's perfectly fine. Well, you know, I'm, I'm based on your, your, your past uh, advice, I'm constantly thinking about the birds and ways they, they feed themselves over the winter. And, and is that right. a, a good thing to do if you just want to chuck them, you know, near the garden but not in it? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fine. Well, critters will eat those, so that it's it's a good thing. Uh, you're supplying some food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, and then uh, so now in terms of uh, what you want to do, even if you're not particularly growing anything uh, that's going to overwinter, um, what's the best advice on covering with with mulch or not? I mean, do we want right. to um, leave the soil bare all winter? Add compost. I, w- I wouldn't leave the soil bare. I, I, you, I put down either a cover crop on my garden beds or I go and I collect the leaves in the neighborhood because people are sending them all to the landfill, and, I, and I, I put a big thick layer of leaves on my garden beds. What that does is it kills off any weeds that are trying to come up, and, and God knows those are doing major, major work in my yard. And <laughs> so it smothers the weeds, and... Those uh, leaves are going to break down over the winter um, with with the the leaf eating uh, moths that live in leaf litter and actually eat decaying leaves. 
are going to be in there um, eating those leaves and pooping and, you know, uh, fertilizing your bed. And the birds can come and stir those up and get winter food. But I wouldn't leave the, the soil uncovered. I would leave it covered either with a cover crop or leaves um, to protect it from heavy rain and washing away and that, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, it's, a, it's good to leave leaf habitat out over your garden beds. That's a really good way to do it. Even over the stuff that you would plant in, in November, like, like garlic and shallots? Uh, yeah, you could, you can even put a, th- in that bed, I usually use a thin layer of leaves. So the, once the garlic comes up, because it, it starts shooting up pretty much right away, um, then I just sprinkle a few leaves over that. And as they grow, you can add a, a little more heavy layer of leaves. I keep the bags of leaves around and I kind of use them, um, as I need them in the, in the yard. Lynn Kunzman's with us once again on the Jefferson Exchange with Garden for Life. And uh, Lynn is a Master Gardener of the Year for the state of Oregon. And uh, so so let me ask about your own. You mentioned not being a particularly organized gardener, which I somehow think is a bit of a lie there, Lynn. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> but, uh, but, but do you take pictures of the garden? You know, because I do that sometimes, too. Just remember, like, where I planted stuff. I don't do much journaling. Right. And I probably should because I find myself, for example, asking you the same questions year after right. year when we've already dealt with some of this? If, if you're a really organized person, and I know several of my Master Gardener friends who are, and they keep a, a, a journal, a garden journal. I know some of them keep like a, a, a map of what, they, what they've put out in the garden. Some people keep a page for each vegetable, and they take notes on how they liked it. Um, you know, that's a really good way to do it because, you know, maybe you want to try a new tomato and you want to keep track. I do not do any of that because I... For the most part, my husband is the one who puts in the summer garden, and he is not a journal keeper. And so he's the one who's starting those vegetables and getting them into the garden. Um, I'm the one that has to process them once they start producing. So it's <laughs> <laughs> sort of a, a division of labor there. And I'm taking care of the, or not taking, or neglecting to take care of the pollinator garden in the front yard. So the backyard is kind of Jim's domain. Um, but yeah, I don't. We've never kept real records um, about the plants that we're putting in what garden beds. He remembers where they were last year, and then he rotates them around. You know, so he doesn't plant the tomatoes in the same bed year after year. So we do that, but that's about a, the extent of our record keeping. Yeah, I've but kept it that is very really much. Good practice. Mm-hmm. It's a really good practice. You know, it is yeah. knowing where stuff went before because I've been thinking about yeah. that from from the last couple of times we talked about making sure that you you kind of fool the bugs, put the stuff in different parts of the garden next year. You bet. Yeah, especially for things like coal crops that can get things. You know, uh, uh, critters that like to eat their roots, and and uh, if you if you're growing cabbage in the same bed year after year, you're just setting up a you know a, a, a fail situation because. Those things are going to be overwintering in the soil and then ready to eat your new little guys that you put out there. So it's really important to rotate um, your vegetables, your crops. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I notice on your November in the food garden checklist is to rake leaves and stems uh, gently up into mounds under trees and shrubs. And this is a butterfly aid, it sounds like. Right. That's that, that's that habitat that mm-hmm. we were, you know, so we're not calling leaves litter anymore. Right. We're calling them habitat. And, and if people can't stand the look of them in the yard, then then push them into windrows underneath your shrubs and hide them under the vegetation in your yard that way, under your trees, under your shrubs, so that there is some um, winter protection 
for our insects that we need um, for our baby birds to eat in the spring. Yeah. Okay. Uh, since we have you now, and we probably won't speak to you uh, before Christmas, I know we've talked about some uh, some gardening I- uh, Christmas gift ideas uh, in the past, and I know gloves seems to be number one on the list, and I would recommend a hat, too, for the feet pokes right. with, the, with the pale skin and the sunshine. Right. Uh, what what <laughs> after the gloves and hat would be number one on your list? Well, I, I would say uh, for, for older gardens like myself, one of those kneelers, you know, that it, it can be either a seat or a kneeler if you're out and, and your beds are low and you need to get down on your knees because it has some handles you can push yourself up with if you're, if you're kind of getting old and creaky like me. Um, but the, my number one gardening tool uh, is a hori knife. Aha. And, yeah. and, <laughs> That's what yeah, I wrote down, hori, hori knife. knife the yeah. hori, hori, hori knives are really cool. And um, spend the money, go online, get the one with the riveted wooden handle. Um, you'll have it for the rest of your life. It's a really well-made tool. It's got one edge that's serrated, one that is just a blade, and then it's got a place for cutting twine. And it's it's just a fabulous – I use it for planting my plants. I use it for weeding and cutting through uh, nasty roots, you know, in the garden. I, I use it for everything. So it's really uh, kind of an all-purpose hand tool. Because it cuts, it digs. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's a mm-hmm. rather thick blade, as I recall. It, so it, it is a thick blade, so you can use it like a trowel, and then you can use it as a cutting tool as well. So it's really it's it's a good one. And as far as gloves go, you want uh, gloves that are cloth but have some some gripping rubbery surface, right? Right. I like the ones that have the cloth back and that and that really nubby uh, vinyl, uh, bumpy, rubbery kind of palm. Uh, if you buy just the cotton gloves, you're going to go through them in two seconds if you're doing any kind of, no, seriously. I mean, it's, 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 it's just insane. You you know, don't, don't spend your money on something that's not going to hold up. I, I even run through those, those heavy duty rubbery ones, but they last for, you know, a couple months at least. Um, but if, if they're just cloth, they're not going to do it. And if you're, if you're pruning roses, you really need to get heavy leather gloves. Mm -hmm. The, even the nubby rubbery ones will not protect you from thorns, and so you need to have those heavy uh, leather gloves and be sure you've got a current tetanus ah, shot. Good idea. Because right. we do have we do have tetanus and 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 thorn thorn sticks can do that to you. All right, Lynn yeah. Kunzman, Master Gardener. Thanks for joining us once again for Garden for Life on the Jefferson Exchange. Absolutely. Have a nice holiday.